0: is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. I would say as a former athlete, let me say former athlete, today feels like the first day of a new season. Like that's the anticipation and the excitement that I have because we are about to uh, take a journey through I think one of the greatest uh, books ever written inside the Scripture. Some of you say, but that's a, that's a bold statement. Well, here's what here's what Martin Luther said about Romans, the book we're about to study. He said it is the most complete summary of the gospel message found in any single book. Ever written, and we're about to dive in. So I'm looking forward to it. We've been looking forward to this series for a long time, and I'm really believing this. I believe God's going to do some things in our life. I would tell you about Romans for me. Uh, Romans saved my sanity. Uh, The first time I ever really studied Romans, I was prone to struggle with a lot of doubt, uh, a lot of lack of assurance about my salvation. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. Probably not, but thanks for listening. But Romans was just so, so super helpful. So we're excited just to see what God's going to do uh, in our life. If you need clarity on how to re- enter a relationship with God, Romans is your book. If you, if you need some clarity on what's missing, kind of feels like something's missing in your life, Romans is your book. If you want to experience the power and presence of God's, uh, God's power in your life at a greater level, I think Romans is a book for you. And I want to say this, if you only read one book this year, I challenge you to read Romans. You know, the Harvard Law School, for about the first 120 years of its existence, made all of its first-year law students read Romans. Isn't that interesting? And the reason that they did was not to try to convert them to Christianity, but the reason they did was that this is the greatest defense, the greatest argument of a belief system that that anyone has ever written. And that's really what Paul is doing. He is defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. He raises all these objections, uh, natural objections that we have, and then he just answers them. He jumps us and answers them. So... Just an amazing book, so I hope you'll take part in that. You know, as as Nick mentioned, the podcast, one of the things we're trying to do with that is I'm going to preach, Nick and I are going to preach eight messages through Romans, which kind of just scratches the surface of this great book. But all of our staff have been involved in this, so there's a reading every single day, as Nick said, and they're going to do some teaching, and so we're going to go verse by verse through Romans on the podcast. So I'm excited about you guys uh, doing that. And again, 15 minutes a day uh, will take you through Romans over the course of this next eight weeks. So we're excited about it. Now let's begin in Romans chapter 1. And let's start in verse 18. And again, just some context. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, writes uh, this book or letter to the churches in Rome. Paul, although he started many churches, although he writes many letters in the New Testament, uh, this book uh, was written to a group of churches that he did not start. He wants to go to Rome uh, because Rome is really the epicenter of the known world in the first century, and he, he feels like it is the gospel that has so much play in Rome, all the problems that are going on in Rome uh, with the sexual immorality and on and on and on, the gospel is the answer there in Rome. So he longs to be there. He is writing probably to a group of Christians there that had uh, been Jews who'd come to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 shortly after Jesus is crucified, ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit falls on those folks there at Pentecost, and then they go back to their hometowns. Many of them would go back to Rome, and they would start churches there. So Paul is writing to encourage them. Now as we pick up in verse uh, 18... Of Romans chapter 1. I told folks in the last services, two hour message, we're going to do it in 30 minutes. You in? Buckle up. Here we go. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Here's what Paul's doing. Paul's going to show you the secret to how a life crumbles. Paul is going to show you the secret, the progression. This is a na- he's going to show us a natural progression to how life crumbles. Since what may be known, verse 19, about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Let's stop there for just a few moments, and I want us to look at the first point in this progression today. Uh, it, it looks like we're, uh, as maybe I said earlier, the problem with the uh, preaching four sermons, I can't remember if I said this in this service or in the last three, but it looks like a magic show we're about to have here. Is that right? Like, wow, it's gonna be crazy today. Uh, wh- what I want to do is is I want to I give you a um, multiple illustrations that hopefully you'll uh, remember because this is a really important text and it's a lot here where well, there's a lot that we're going to cover but Paul is going to really show us the secret to how a life crumbles and, and and the first step in this progression let's just call it the beach ball principle the beach ball principle is this do you remember as a kid getting in the pool and taking a beach ball did you do that and just pushing it under the water and see how long you could keep it under the water any of you do that yeah, good. I feel better about myself. I mean, that was a good time as I was a kid, right? That was a vacation. That's what we did. And uh, me and my friends, we'd try to, try to see who could keep it under the water longest. And then when it came out, boy, just remember how it just shoot up out of the water? Boom. Well, that's, that's what it means to suppress truth. To suppress truth is to, to hold it down. And, and Paul says the first step, the first step in seeing your life start to crumble is when we suppress truth. It's the beach ball principle. Now, suppression is not the same thing as ignorance. I think you have that in your notes. Ignorance is, I just don't know. I didn't know. But suppression is, I know, but I don't want to know. Does that make sense? In World War II, just toward the end of World War II, the first concentration camp that the Allied forces found, they knew they were there, but the first one that they found was in a small town in Germany called Orndorf. And when they arrived, the Allied forces arrived, and the Nazis were trying to cover up the concentration camp, but we occupied the city uh, before they were able to do that. So when they arrived, they found hundreds of bodies scattered all over the place in Orndorf. General Patton made it to the city of Orndorf about three hours after the occupation, and he was immediately brought out to take a look at the concentration camp. And it was said about Patton when he arrived at the concentration camp and saw the bodies that he vomited. He was so overcome. After that, he immediately goes back to the mayor and his wife of this city. Patton knew that the mayor knew what was going on. And he marched him out, and he made the mayor and his wife and everyone in that city bury all those bodies systematically, one by one bury every decaying body there in Ordroff. Patton left. A couple days later, he received a message saying this. The mayor and his wife are dead. They hung themselves. They left a note. Here's what the note said. We knew, but we didn't know. We knew, but we didn't know. What did they do? They suppressed the truth. I want to tell you that every great sociological problem in our culture I think has stemmed at some part from suppressing, suppressing truth. One of the greatest atrocities in the history of our country, slavery. Slavery was not a result of ignorance as some people might say. Slavery was a result of people who knew better suppressing the truth because they wanted something else. I would say that about abortion today Abortion is a suppressing of the truth, and in your life and my life, on an individual level, suppressing truth will keep people from coming to faith in Christ, and suppression will keep believers from growing in their relationship with Christ. This is a very, very important principle. This beach ball principle is very, very important, and I think the area, let me say this, and you're going to have to hang here with me, right? Again, the rules are when about 20% of you fall asleep, we make everybody stand, so if your neighbor is falling asleep, it's going to cost you, right? I think the area throughout time that we have tried to suppress, the truth throughout time, my opinion, that we have tried to suppress more than any other is creation, that there is a creator. I think that's what individuals have done. Paul answers this question beautifully in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Have you ever struggled with doubt about how we got here? Yeah, I have. You ever been prone to doubt and and some a lack of faith about, you know, how do we how do we get here? Paul answers this question in a beautiful way in, in Romans chapter one verse twenty. When it is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible. He says, "For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." Paul is really saying that, you know what, if you're wrestling with how we, we got here, really all you have to do is take a look and you can see that there is a creator because we're going to take a look at that. And really, I think what Paul's saying when he's saying that, that we're really without excuse, I, I think this is so true. I think ma- mankind's problems aren't so much intellectual. They're they're, they're not about intellect, but they're about idols. In other words, there are just certain things that we know, but we don't want to know, and we push them down. Because why do we suppress things? Here's a great question. Why do we suppress truth? Because truth always makes some demands on our life, doesn't it? And it is much easier to suppress something than to really let that rise up and make demands and have to f- be forced to make changes in our life. And so, uh, consequently, more than anything else, our culture has suppressed creation, that there's not a God over creation, because if there is a God over creation, then I'm not Him, and I have to submit to Him. Now, he- here's what I would say. Let- let's just take a time out. I want to do a couple things just very quickly. Here's three reasons for the existence of God that you see in this passage here. Three reasons that Paul says for the existence of God, and I think they could they could help you. We've tried to suppress truth. Paul says, "Here's what you need to do." First of all, here's what we see in this passage. Creation screams creator. That's what Paul is saying. You you wonder where do we where do we come from? Paul says, "Take a look around." Take a look around and creation will scream one thing, that there had to be a creator. This is what people call the cosmological argument. And you think, well, that, that's a big word that I don't care about. It really, really means an argument from origins. You know, why is there nothing rather than something? Do we believe that there's something today? Let me ask you. Again, it's a two-hour message. I'm going to preach it in 30 minutes, so you've got to respond fast, right? Because I'm waiting on you. That means you're longer to get to lunch, right? There's something rather than Nothing. Right? Look beside you. There is someone rather than, than, than nothing. And so because there is someone, we have to ask the question, well, how did you get here? And how did I get here? And Paul says the answer to that is creation, whether it's the trees, the birds, or the person beside you screams, there is a creator, right? But we, we, we think in this intellectual or enlightened society that we live in, we say this, Well, well, you know what? That, that is an antiquated or an old-timey view of things. Than the enlightened age that we live in today, we have answers for those things. Only a person who's just, just dumb, ignorant, still believes that. Well, that's not true. To say that science has an answer for the cosmological argument is flat-out wrong. In fact, not from a preacher, but from one of the most noted atheists, atheists on planet Earth today who has written so much on this topic. Listen to what Richard Dawkins says. In his book, I'm going to quote, In his book, The God Delusion, a pastor is quoting an atheist today from a propaganda book. Here's what Dawkins says. It's a great quote. He says, Darwin's theory, talking about evolution, works for biology but not for cosmology. In other words, origins or ultimate origin. Cosmology, listen to what Dawkins says, cosmology is waiting on its Darwin. In other words, he's saying, science doesn't know how we got here right? Evolution works for how there's some adaptation within species, but here's the truth. We're still waiting. Cosmology is still waiting on its Darwin. And, And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying creation screams creator. Psalms chapter 19 verse 1. What does it say? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. I mean, this morning as the sun came up, I mean, I knew I was preaching on this, but this happens a lot as you see the sun come up. I mean, it's a beautiful sight And creation screams creator. We can see this over and over again. Napoleon, was on a warship in the Mediterranean one night, and he walked past some sailors who were laughing, mocking the thought of a god. And Napoleon stops right in front of these sailors and raises his hands toward the sky, and he says this, gentlemen, you must get rid of those pointing to the stars first. He's saying the heavens declare the glory of God. So here's what Paul's saying. Creation screams Creator, number two, design screams designer. God's invisible qualities, His eternal power. Can I ask you a question? Do you think we live in a complex universe? I do. Do you think your body's pretty complex? I do. Your eyes. Think about this, and we could talk about a hundred different examples. We're gonna we're gonna do a a message for our Christmas series just on this to start our Christmas series. So we're excited about that. We'll get into it in greater detail. But do you know your eyes can do things? No no complex. There's not a camera. You can't spend enough money to buy a high-tech enough camera to do what your eye can do. Do you know the couple pound piece of meat that's between your two ears can process information faster than any supercomputer can? Do you know what that says? Design screams designer. Francis Collins today, and again, I'm not quoting Christians here, Francis Collins is, is arguably one of the most brilliant scientists in the world today. Some people would say he's in the top five. He's the head of the Human Genome Project. That's a pretty sharp dude, right? You know, I'll give him that. I don't even know what the Human Genome Project is. It sounds, <laughs> sounds important. <laughs> like, yeah. I want him if I'm on Jeopardy. I mean, right? Here's what Collins said. He said, how could a cosmic accident? And that's the only other alternative you have if you don't believe in a creator. He said, how could a cosmic accident ever result in something of this digital elegance as in a single strand of DNA? He said, that doesn't make any sense at all. He says, when I, just ta- when I take a look at just one strand of DNA and see the digital elegance, the detail, the design that's there, how could an accident? Collins goes on to say, it would be like a hurricane going through an ink factory and on the other side of that you have the works of Shakespeare. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Number three, the reasons for God's existence. Paul says his, his divine nature the Bible says we've been created in God's image, so our feelings scream a moral lawgiver. This is what's known as the moral argument. The number one criticism that I hear for a creator is this. How could your loving God allow so much evil and suffering? If there is a God, how can there be so much evil and suffering on planet Earth? Have you ever heard that? You know what I, you know what I say to that? It doesn't go over well, but it's still true. How do we even know there's evil and suffering apart from a moral lawgiver? You see, because in every culture throughout the history of time, there's been conscience that has been just really stamped on the heart of man. There are certain things that in our conscience we know are wrong, like murder and rape. That doesn't mean that people don't do them. There's guilt and shame that human beings have found or or felt from the beginning of time. Why? Because this moral lawgiver, this creator, this God has stamped them on our heart. That makes us different from the animals. Um, This summer, I mean, we have a, I said a barn, I've said that all weekend. We don't have a barn, we have a shed. Barn sounds cooler in our backyard. It's a small barn, if I could say that. And um, and so th- this summer, we had some rabbits that raised there, and we had like uh, seven little bunnies in the summer. So we get up drinking our coffee, and we got rabbits running around our backyard. We named them. As, I mean, that's how bored we are. It was just fun. We watched them, and there were seven, then there were six, there were five. Yeah, there were four, down to one. Finally, one morning, I saw it. This hawk just comes screaming in. We have a, just a, a fenced-in backyard, a wooden fence. You know, it's about six feet high, trees. He comes screaming in over the top of the trees. He drops down to the deck in a second. And that, that, that hawk was flying in and one by one systematically eating every single one of those bunnies in our backyard. I was like, man, I know. Oh, I was like, man. Here's what, I, here's what never happened. I never was walking around the block and saw him, the hawk. He's hanging from a tree, weeping. I'm like, what's up, man, Brady? I'm so sorry. And I haven't, I haven't slept in two weeks. I eat every one of your rabbits. I'm wrecked about it. I never had it. He didn't give it a second thought, man. He's still going, he's still eating rabbits. How many of you have cats? <laughs> I love cat people. You won't even admit it. You're like, yeah, it's <laughs> I Cats. I love cats. God loves cats. I, I'm lying, I don't, I'm not a cat guy, I got to be honest with you, I'm not. But I love you. You know what, when a cat, think about this for a second, when a cat catches a mouse, think how messed up this, this is, they don't just eat it first. Now they play with it and then systematically maul it and they seem to be enjoying it. Ever seen that? It's like, what is wrong with you? That is messed up. I mean, it's not like you're, you're, you're never, if you have a cat, it's not like you're ever in bed at like 2 and you hear sniffling. Yeah, where is that? And, and I've got to talk. <laughs> that was terrible. You see the little mouths? They don't care. Just eat another one. You think, well, why did you? Why, see, there's something different in us. You see, and that moral law that's stamped on our heart, where does that come from? other than coming from a moral lawgiver. And see, so this is an area, this idea of creation, that we have suppressed more than any other. And it's very strategic. The Bible says if the foundations are destroyed, how can the righteous stand? So if you don't believe there is a creator over all things, then consequently that leaves you to be free to be over all things in your life. That's what's in play here. Does that make sense? This really isn't an intellectual thing. This is a moral deal. So here's the question, most important question, then you can check out on the rest of the message if you want to. I wish you wouldn't. But this is this is enough for today. In what area of my life am I suppressing truth? In what area of your life are you suppressing truth? With your morality, I know it, but I don't know it. I mean, here's what God has called us to in our in our morals and our sexual ethic. We know it, but we don't know it. We suppress that truth. With your finances, in your marriage just be easier to leave but and so you just do because you want to be happy and you know deep down that, that that's not right you know it but you don't know it in our relationships we know God has called us to forgive other people we know that but we don't know it so we just suppress that truth on and on and on but just wrestle with that question for a moment and because everything else that Paul is going to do in this section feeds off of that in what area am I suppressing truth it's really how life crumbles now let's look at the second point that he makes It's this, truth suppressed always increases personal darkness. I'm going to go over this a couple times. This is super important. Are you still with me? Anytime we suppress truth, here's the progression, it always increases personal darkness, and our lives will begin to crumble. Watch this. Our lives begin to crumble when we fail to recognize the present reality of the wrath of God. Now, let's talk about this for a moment, because this idea of the wrath of God is very confusing. You see, and people say, well, that's why I don't believe in God, because I don't believe in a God of wrath. Well, th- this word wrath here is not like your gym teacher going off and just going nuts and anger at you and you were uh, mad at you and just saying crazy stuff when you are in eighth grade. It's not like your parents losing it. This wrath of God is really, Paul is going to just flesh this out. It's really, if you don't want any of me, God just leaves us to our own devices. If you want to edge me out, then you can live life without me. He gives us the freedom to do that. Ultimately, do you know what hell is? Hell is eternity apart from the presence of God for those who want nothing to do. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People say that, well, God, I I could never follow a God who sends people. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God sent his son to come so no one would have to do that. But if we reject that, then hell is just the lack of of God's presence. But here's the thing. Look at Romans 1.18. We don't ever talk about this very much in church, and that's why so many people stay stuck today inside the church, and we don't even realize what's going on. Verse 18, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. The grammar here is very important. Paul writes this in the present tense. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed. In other words, any time you and I, any time, I'll talk about me, any time I suppress truth as a believer and walk in disobedience, there is a present reality. I experience a present reality, the consequence of that sin. You see? And so we don't talk about it. Now, Paul's going to show you what the present reality of the consequence of that sin is, and I call it the dimmer principle. Now, this light is on. It's on bright. But every time I suppress truth, every time I suppress truth in some way in my life, I dim the light. You see that? Every single time, this is the present reality that Paul's talking about. It's a dimmer principle, that I suppress truth, the light is dim. Let's see how Paul explains that in Scripture. Romans chapter 1, look on down at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. In your margin of your Bible, you might want to write worship here misplaced worship. That's what you and I are primarily created for, to bring God glory through worshiping Him, giving Him the place of of most prominence in our life. And any time we fail to do that, our life begins to crumble. But if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I want God to rebuild my life. Well, it happens as we we replace worship and begin to worship God in a proper way proper way for although they knew god they neither glorified him god as god nor gave thanks to him but their thanking became futile and their futile and their foolish hearts were darkened there it is darkened their hearts were darkened this is the uh, dimmer switch principle although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles what's the key word here I think, it, I think it's, 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 it's fools or foolishness. Any time in my life that I suppress truth, the present reality or consequence of suppressing truth, Paul says, is it dims God's wisdom in my life. And I lose God's perspective. Have you ever been around somebody and they're making decisions and you're like, man, what are they thinking? Have you, ever, have you ever said anything like that? People have said that about you if you haven't said it about anybody else, I promise. Well, that is a present reality. That is part of the wrath of God. It's us saying, God, I don't want you in this part of my life. And so we push God out, and he says, you know what? You got it. And a consequence of that is we lose God's perspective. We lose wisdom in our life, and we're given on to just foolish thinking. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their heart. Here's another part of this progression. You're going to see the next thing that happens at the part of this dimmer switch. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than creator. That is, I mean, Paul writes with such precision. Have you ever, I have. I have worshiped created things rather than the creator so many times in my life. That so, so personifies me. Does it you? I mean, we settle for so much less than what we can have. Now, Look at verse 24, and it just, it, it gets because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women, I'm reading verse 26, even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Now, anytime Paul's talking about homosexuality here, I'm going to make some statements about it before you get up and leave, and, and just, just nail me as a narrow-minded bigot. Just hang on for a second. Paul is using homosexuality as an example, as an example of what happens uh, when we suppress truth. When we lose God's wisdom in our life, and then next, we're given over to our own desires. We lose God's restraining power. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The ones that he uses here, again, Paul's argument is on suppression. When he says natural for unnatural in homosexuality, you say, well, what did Paul know about homosexuality? In the Roman Empire, about 11 of the first 12 emperors in Rome were homosexuals. So you said, well, this is just a part of our culture today. No, it was was very much a part of the Roman culture. And he uses natural for unnatural. He's saying, you know, come on, you're suppressing truth here. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Look at verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. This is an amazing play on words, and you see it in the Greek so clearly. Like, I don't want God's wisdom in this area of my life, so just God gives me over to foolishness. Do you see that's what happens. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. That is just a mind that just rejects truth so that they might do what, not be, what ought not be done. Now, let me say this. Let me make a couple statements. I'm going to call a timeout here. Let me make a couple statements on homosexuality here because I think it's important. Number one, Paul is not elevating homosexuality over all other sins. He's not. He's clearly using it as an example. And by the way, in just a few moments, Paul is going to list a whole bunch of other sins that everybody in this room is guilty of, right? So don't get, don't get too high and mighty. And he's not saying it's the worst sin. He says, he's saying it, it, it is a sin. He's saying it is an example. It is an example of what happens when we suppress truth and we lose God's wisdom in our life and we lose God's restraining power in our life. And in it's an example of how we reject God's design for our life and let our desires rule in our life, Right? You see that? Let me say something. I hear this all the time. And I have people in my life that I love and care deeply about that are struggling with same-sex attractions. We have multiple, multiple people here who are struggling with same-sex attractions. And listen, we are glad you're here. I have struggles in my life as well. We're all in need of God's grace. Do you understand this? Watch this. But just because you have a desire doesn't mean that desire is right right? Think about that. That's just where we're here in our culture. Well, if a person has this desire, if this person has a, a same-sex attraction desire, then that means that desire must be right. Think about this for a moment. My wife and I have been married for some 27 years, almost 28. If I went to her, and I do, I think she's the most beautiful woman on planet earth. How did, how did she marry me? I have no idea other than the grace and mercy of God. But if I said to her, Amy, you've always wanted me to be true to myself, right? She's like, yeah, I don't know. What yeah, but I need to be true to myself, and i always want to be honest. And so I just have desires in me, and I wouldn't be true to myself if I didn't act out on those desires. And so I have I have desires to to to, to be in relationship with other women, but and, and, and so I, I know you just want me to be true to this desire that I have in my life. Well, let me just tell you, I wouldn't be here today because I'd be dead. Right? Do you believe that? I mean, let's think about that. I'm not. I, some of you're laughing, but you see, that, that that's the deal. Uh, anytime, uh, last time I, I and I'm preaching on what the Bible says. We're just reading through Romans here, right? So. Somebody came to me and said, well, listen, you're overweight, you're a glutton. Why didn't you talk about that? Good point. Good point. Let me tell you a difference. Um, someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction, we've said it multiple times here, is, is, is not sin. When we give in to that, that's sin. Do I struggle with gluttony? Yes. Uh, Friday night, we're out to dinner, and my boys are there, and they order. I want to order what they order, right? Right? I ordered the zucchini as opposed to the uh, baked potato with butter and sour cream. I could have eaten the whole glob of butter and sour cream off the top of their baked potato. That's just kind of how I am, but I ordered z- Why? Because I'm trying to fight this. I'm trying to stay. That, that's, you see that? And I don't always do that, but the, the deal is are we in the fight? We don't let our desires rule us. That's the point I'm making. They don't have to rule us, you see? But when we suppress truth, watch this. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's the progression. When we suppress truth, it dims God's restraining power in our life. Do you understand that? When I suppress truth, I lose God's wisdom in my life. And then secondly, I lose God's restraining power in my life. So I'm just given over. That's his point. So I'm just given over to every lustful desire that I have. Do you see this? Right? This, is his, this is his statement. Now, here's another thing I want to say about homosexuality or about any sin. People say, well, you know what? That's the way a person is born. Listen, we're all born in sin. We're all born with desires that are contrary to the will of God. Right, some folks are predisposed to homosexuality. Some folks folks are predisposed to gluttony. Some folks are predisposed to uh, sexual immorality with, with someone of the same sex. Right, and l- l- let me just say this: homosexuality doesn't send you to hell. Just like being a heterosexual doesn't send you to heaven. I want to say that to the church today. Right, because we sort of we sort of miss this. This is all about, we're all broken and all need of the gospel. The only hope we have is Jesus Christ. Do You understand that? If looks could kill, I'm a dead man. But I want to say this today. I want to say this to you today. To say that this is the way I am and I'm powerless against that, that flies in the face of the gospel message. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. He's he's talking to the believers at Corinth and Corinth was like the modern day Las Vegas. He says, or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, you not, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. What is the sexually immoral? Anybody who is, is acting sexually outside the bounds that God has, has set. God sets sex between one man and one woman inside the confines of marriage. That is the biblical teaching on sex. It just flat out is the truth. And if you disagree with me, you have to take that up with the Lord. It's just as clear as, as, as can be, right? Now, we suppress that in our culture. Neither the sexually immoral, nor their idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is not saying if you do these things, you're going to hell. Paul is saying if you do these in an unrepentant way, meaning I'm not trusting God's power to change me in this, if you're not at battle within these things, because that's what the Holy Spirit does if we're, we're born again. And listen to what Paul says in verse 11, and that is what some of you past tense were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Listen, what does that say? No matter how you were born, you can be born again through the power of the Holy Spirit and receive new desires. Do you see that? Our culture doesn't believe that and doesn't teach that, but that's what the Bible teaches quite clearly, okay? Now, man, this is a little tough crowd here today. <laughs> tough stuff, isn't it? You say, why are you teaching on this? Because it's in the Bible and I'm going to be judged more severely than you are. To not teach that. Is, 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 is wrong on my part. Now, let me say the, the, the third thing I, I want us to see today. And last thing, truth suppress will keep us ultimately choosing binoculars as opposed to mirrors. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at this final section in Scripture. Most of us live our life with binoculars, we love to look and see the mistakes that other people are making in their life. And look what Paul says about this. You're going to see yourself in this story. Paul uses homosexuality as, as an example, but now he's going to list all kinds of sins. And these, all these sins are the result of the same thing, suppressing truth, losing God's wisdom in your life and losing God's sustaining power in your life, dimmer effect. They're all the same. He says, they have, that means us, become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed. Any greedy people here today? Yeah, evil, greed, depravity, they are full of envy. Anybody been envious of anybody else? Count me in on that one. Murder. <laughs> and you say, whoa, check please. Should have looked through that resume a little bit better. You know what Jesus said about murder? He said if you've had anger in your heart toward another person, that's a seed of murder. Whoa. I'm there. Strife? Ever stirred the pot? Yeah. Deceit? Check. Malice? Check. Gossip? Double check. You know what gossip is? Somebody told me, you know what gossip is? It's confessing somebody else's sins. We do that. We do that great. I mean, the church is great at confession. The problem is we just confess somebody else's stuff, not ours. Slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. All right, everybody, got everybody with that one, right? That's an all-skate, isn't it? Boom, everybody. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous, uh, they, although they know God's righteous uh, decrees, those who do such things deserve death. I don't know, they not only continue to do so, to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, let me let me just say something here. This long list that 95% of the things that Paul mentions in this list, we're all guilty of. This long list isn't a list to show us why everyone else needs Jesus. It's meant to show us why we need Jesus. Do you see that? We need His grace. It is so easy to walk around with binoculars and point out the mistakes and problems and failures in somebody else's life. It's very different to look in the mirror. And let God show you what's wrong in your life. And now here's the point. When you walk around with minoc- binoculars, you forfeit God's grace in your life. But when we look in the mirror, it's a chance to receive God's grace and God's mercy. I, uh, this happened not too long ago. And a guy's railing and wants me to preach more. And he's railing against homosexuality. And here's a guy who's living with his girlfriend. I'm like, dude, that is so messed up. You, you got binoculars. You need to look in the mirror. You need God's grace. In fact, I would make a case that so many of the problems that we have in our culture is because the church for years has walked around with binoculars instead of looking in the mirror and it, receiving God's grace. This is what David prayed when he said, Search me, O God. Show me my wicked ways and lead me in the path everlasting. It's what Jesus said. and He says, Why are you so concerned at the speck in somebody else's eye and you lose sight of the plank that's in yours? Can I ask you guys to look this way? Just for a second. I think 75% of the people who have been in the service today have left the service today. I watch you watch everybody walk out when you do. I'm just arrogant enough to want it to be about me. Do you see that? That was a joke. I don't. I just need you to lock in here. It's important. Binoculars cause you to forfeit grace. or the mirror will allow you to receive grace. But you might ask... How do we look in a mirror on a daily basis? You know, one of the ways that we look in the mirror, the best way to look in the mirror is getting into the Word of God on a daily basis because that's what it is, is a mirror into your soul. It will show you areas of your life that you're living outside the will of God. I've said this wrong and all weekend long, and I'm just going to say it again. I hope you trust my heart. I hope you've been around here long enough to know what I'm about. I hope that. You know, we, we've put together a podcast. I, I feel like we of uh, uh, reading every single verse. We've asked you just to click on the website, download a podcast, and just listen to the Bible for 15 minutes. We just came out of a First and Second Samuel reading plan, and and, and I, I feel like inside the church we we just just push and push and push for you to get in the Word, get in the Word, get in the Word. And I, I'm just tired. I'm kind of tired. It's not that we're not going to do that any longer. but Let me just tell you, can I just be, I just want to be real for just a second. Can I? Right? You know, if, if you don't have a desire at some level to be in the Word, please, please, please hear, hear me in its entirety. If you don't have a desire in some level to be in the Word, I have to wonder, I question whether the Holy Spirit is within you. Because one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit, one of the, and I'm not saying you can, I'm not saying if you don't read the Bible, you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's work within us is a love for the Word, drawing us to the Word. That's just true. And sin can tamp that down. But listen, you'll spend the rest of your life with binoculars until you consistently get under the Word. And it'll break your heart and you'll be before a mirror every day. And God's grace will be made available to you. And God will begin to change you from the inside out on a daily basis. And that's what I want for you. Here's the progression as we close today. Here's all Paul's saying. First of all, beach ball. Suppress, suppress, suppress. What truth are you trying so hard to suppress today? Could you wrestle with that over the course of the remaining time this weekend? God, what truth? Would you be courageous enough to ask God, God, what truth in my life Am I trying so hard to suppress? Here's a second question, dimmer switch. How seriously have you ever contemplated the present reality of the wrath of God? Because Paul writes, he says the wrath of God is being revealed, not is going to be revealed. That's true too how how seriously have you ever contemplated the present reality of God meaning the consequences for the areas of disobedience in your life and in my life and i wonder what would it take today for you to choose the mirror for you to choose the mirror over binoculars And say, God, that that word is not for everybody else. It's for me. I need your grace in my life. Can I just tell you something about me? The longer I live, the older I get, the more desperate I am for the grace of God in my life. Because without it, listen, without it, I'm prone to do anything and everything. And I desperately need God's grace in my life. The mayor and his wife in Orndorf, Germany, buried those bodies. They knew, but they didn't know because they didn't want to know. They buried those bodies, and then they hung themselves. In some ways, it's a picture of the progression of suppression because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The cure is to repent. You know, if we were standing outside that concentration camp toward the end of World War II, and if we could have spoken to that mayor and his wife with the stench of all the carnage in front of them and shame and guilt has riddled them. My life has felt like that. My life has been riddled with shame and guilt over the mistakes that I have made and the price that others have had to pay because of my failures, because I have suppressed truth. And just before this man and his wife took their lives, wouldn't it have been interesting and powerful if someone stepped in and said, you don't have to take your life because there has been one who has already given his life for your shame and for your guilt. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You know, the area that some of you, the truth that some of you have suppressed all of your life is a need for a Savior. You have pushed that down all your life. Can I tell you something? It will never be easier than it is in this moment right now to surrender to Him. You see, at some level, the pain of holding it down has got to be less than the release of letting it go and experiencing what God has for you. And it will never be easier than it is right now. Why? Why? You say, why do you say that? Because it's the dimmer switch again. If you say no to him, tomorrow makes it more difficult. And so for some of you today, would you surrender to him as Savior and Lord? Today. Jesus, I have been suppressing that. I know you exist. I know you've been pursuing me. And I've held on to my life so tightly. But today, I'm yours. Others of you as believers, there's areas of your life, truth that you are suppressing. And it's costing you more than you ever realized. Would you repent of that today? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word, which is truth. Lord, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that can reveal areas that we are suppressing. Lord, thank you for the wisdom to begin to see things your way as opposed to the foolishness of of our way. Father, help us to choose the mirror over binoculars. And Lord, today, for someone here, could they finally wave the white flag of surrender and die to suppressing, pushing you out of your rightful place in their life? Lord, we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.